The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you could join us. And so glad that we have three guests today who are going to help us understand a very specific perspective on the clean energy picture we have here in the United States. We've talked on Go Green Radio many, many times about specific technologies, how they would work, how they would improve the environment. But today we're going to be talking about a a completely different aspect, and that is what advantages there are to good public policy that will help us as you, as a nation, lead the global market in clean energy, how that benefits our country in many ways, and some of the specific suggestions for doing so. We're joined today um, by representatives who are part of a really, really important report that was just uh, released yesterday by the Chu- Pew Charitable Trusts. We're joined by Phyllis Coutinho, who is uh, part of the Pew Charitable Trust uh, clean energy sector. They advocate for policy at the national level that supports clean energy. We're also joined by Dexter Gotland. Uh, he's part of Pike Research and did a lot of the research that we'll be talking about in the report. And then we're also joined by Aaron Lemieux, who is uh, an entrepreneur. He's part of the clean energy industry from the business side of the house. And we'll be talking about about um, what some of these public policy issues could mean to people who are the innovators, the entrepreneurs who are making clean energy uh, ready to go to market. So welcome to each of you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you very much, Jill. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you guys could take time to join us. Phyllis, I'd like to start with you. From your perspective, why is it so important for the U.S. not just to install clean energy, but to compete for global market share in clean energy manufacturing? I mean, if some other country takes the lion's share of the market, why would that be detrimental for the U.S.? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Jill. A couple, a couple of answers I would have. First of all, we, if we look back, the, the clean energy industry is a relatively new one, but in the short time that we've been tracking kind of the growth or the investments in the clean energy sector globally, they've grown 600%. So this is, that's since 2004. So this is really a sector of the global economy that is growing rapidly. And, you know, we are a country, frankly, that has pioneered, and, and certainly Aaron is going to talk to this, much of the technology that is clean energy technology that's being sold around the world. And so we believe that it is important to, to you know, capitalize on that innovation and manufacture, one, because, frankly, we invented it, mm-hmm. and two, because there is a market out there that is growing swiftly, and 
Someone should be supplying that market. Why not us? Why not America? We know that by the time uh, we reach 2035, there's going to be $6 trillion in terms of of uh, investments in this sector. And much of the growth, frankly, 85% of all the energy growth we're going to see is coming from emerging markets, India, China, and others. So we really need to be manufacturing and selling into those markets because it's going to create jobs, it's going to create businesses, it's going to create American wealth, and we're going to protect the environment. So those are all things that are important to us. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Aaron has, a, has a, another and more interesting perspective. Well, Aaron, I would like for you to jump in there because you're the CEO and founder of Tremont Electric and you're located in the Rust Belt of Ohio where, you know, we have traditionally leaned on that area for manufacturing and a good part of the nation's GDP. What what do you have to add to this question? Well, well, keep in mind, I am uh, speaking to you from uh, beautiful and sunny Cleveland, Ohio at this stage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, You know, um, the the area that we live in, you know, has been labeled uh, the Rust Belt. But, um, you know, that's just a carryover from uh, the immense manufacturing industry um, uh, that uh, traditionally has supported um, the economy in this region. And it's it's really one of those uh, interesting things where, um, you know, it's it's the Rust Belt because, you know, we still do have all of the bones of these factories. And, and, and a lot of these manufacturing facilities are, are still putting out product, um, uh, but at um, a much slower pace uh, than traditionally they had had. Um, you know, what, what we see here is that um, uh, in the Rust Belt, it is an ideal location, even internationally, to be able to manufacture um, clean energy devices. And that's, that's exactly what our company does. Um, uh, we, we also have the ability to be able to source components very locally, too. And when you tie these things together, you know, sourcing the components locally, manufacturing locally, shipping nationally and also internationally, you're, you're essentially, you know, bringing lots more dollars into, into your region. Mm-hmm. And by keeping things as, as relatively contained geographically as we can, what we really see is a compounding effect of the growth of our business. So, so this isn't, you know, just uh, sort of one-off stuff, but this is, this is really a manufacturing system uh, that's, that's really able to feed upon itself. Mm-hmm. Now, Dexter, I'd like to bring you in here. You know, one of the things that uh, I've said in on the webinar that you all uh, conducted yesterday to reveal the findings in the report, and one of the things that was discussed at, at length is that, you know, we really do lack a, a comprehensive energy plan in the United States that, that could help, and we'll talk about exactly how it could help uh, our our clean energy business uh, providers, manufacturers, technology innovators, etc. Um, in the, in just a few minutes, but I'd like for you to give us some examples of some other countries that do have national goals and policies around clean energy issues, and tell us how the presence of those goals and policies kind of serve as an advantage for the nations that have them in place. What are we missing out on by not having that kind of an energy plan in the U.S.? Sure, <clears throat> thanks. So uh, renewable uh, portfolio standards or renewable energy targets are one of the most important drivers of clean energy deployment uh, anywhere in any country. And uh, it's not a new idea. Uh, Countries uh, have been instituting these uh, policies for the last 15 years or so. Um, Some notable ones, of course, China um, is is setting enormous targets. They're targeting something about 
500 gigawatts of uh, renewable electricity by 2020. I think they're breaking it out by about 300 uh, gigawatts from hydro, 150 gigawatts from wind, uh, 30 gigawatts from biomass, and between 20 and 40 for solar. Uh, the European Union as a whole, while individual countries may have uh, more advanced targets, uh, the overall EU targets are, uh, they call it the 2020 targets, which mm-hmm. means a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions compared to 1990 levels, raising the share of energy uh, consumed and produced uh, from renewable energy to 20%, and an overall 20% improvement in energy efficiency, which taken together are uh, major, major, uh, or have been majorly successful in, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and creating jobs. I think in the EU now they've got about, uh, it's about a million and a half people working in uh, uh, clean energy, and mm. by 2020 they estimate after many of these countries will achieve these targets and, and exceed in many cases, uh, an additional 3 million jobs. Mm-hmm. So that just gives you a little flavor there. That's, that's pretty astounding. Can you give us some more information about what the global market trends for clean energy is expected to become over the next decade or so? I mean, uh, if we were to become sure. the global leaders in this, in providing these products and technology, what could that mean in terms of American jobs and uh, and what would happen if the U.S. ended up being the global leader in manufacturing this kind of hardware? Sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, the the jobs issue has been particularly, uh, you know, in the media and, and uh, a lot recently for good reason. Uh, but I think it's, a, it's not just about manufacturing. Uh, manufacturing is uh, an essential piece of the American economy, but mm-hmm. uh, it, there's a lot to be said for these great installation jobs that we're seeing everywhere as well. And so it's not... Uh, always have to be one or the other. You want to have both, but it's important not to overlook the importance of it, of the installation side. <clears throat> and so, uh, as of late, uh, so the, the focus of the Pew Report was to really show that the big takeaway that over the next six years, between, if you include seven years, if you include 2012, the global market for the technologies that we include in here, the primary clean energy um, technologies, is a $1.9 trillion market. That means that uh, during the next six years, we're looking at uh, uh, 327 uh, billion being installed, uh, being the market in 2018. Compared to today, the global market uh, is around uh, let's see, 200, 200 billion. So mm-hmm. we're going to see it grow from the 200 billion market today up to 327 billion market annually in 2018. During the seven years, 1.9 trillion going into solar PV, wind concentrated solar thermal, uh, marine hydrokinetic, offshore wind, biomass, uh, the market is, is enormous. Well, and Aaron, I'd like for you to chime in on this. Uh, you know, as a businessman uh, and, a, and a CEO of a, of a company that's involved in this industry, what do those kind of numbers mean to you? Uh, it, it means that this is a tremendous market opportunity. Um, uh, you know, there, it's, a, it's an area that's, that's ripe for innovation. Uh, you know, just going down the checklist of the different technologies that were just being mentioned there. You know, think about the amount of research and development and the innovation that had to go into to each one of those respective technologies to make it a commercially viable um, uh, product or, or process. And, you know, we, 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 we really see those things starting to, um, you know, uh, scale up in, in size as, 
as um, uh, as the consciousness for the um, uh, clean energy and, and around the world is is really being emphasized, and, and people are, are starting to get it. Um, it, it. It means that um, you know, with projects uh, of those scopes, um, it it means return on investment for investors, uh, which means uh, that um, you know there's going to be more follow-on investment either from those investors or other investors. It's 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 a really um, wonderful winning situation for just about everybody involved. Um, mm-hmm. Part part of um, part of the study um, really really um, uh, gets to the, to the to the point that we need to reduce risk in in our national policy as it pertains to clean energy, and and that's really only going to help accelerate um, uh, those returns on investments. Mm-hmm. Now, Phyllis, there was something mentioned in the report about China's approach to clean energy. And because they are being so aggressive in the way that they're installing clean energy to meet their just explosive energy demands as a result of of their economic growth, um, the result has been that they've brought global prices down for some of these technologies. And for consumers, that seems like a really, really good thing. Is there a downside to the cost reduction that they've helped to create? Well, I mean, I think the downside is certainly for the manufacturers who are kind of struggling with how to manage, you know, how to produce product at a at a cheaper cost. Um, you know, it is, as you mentioned, a very good thing for consumers, and it has meant that we've had greater deployment of clean energy because money has gone farther. So we're now at something like 565 gigawatts, um, or we were at the end of 2011, of clean energy installed around the world. That's about the same amount of, of nuclear power that we have. And so, so that's been really a cause and effect of the kind of deployments that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So that, that is good news. It's good news for consumers around the world. But it is a tough thing for manufacturers to, to, to really manage. Um, and there is some, you know, there is some transition and turmoil going on in the sector right now. But, you know, I, I want to point out to folks that this, this is not a phenomenon that is unlike kind of what other sectors have experienced, whether or not it's um, computers or um, IT or it's even the automobile. I mean, my goodness, at the, at the beginning of the last century, we had more than 100 automobile manufacturers, and now we have obviously far fewer. But um, I think it's a, it is a, a sure sign with falling prices and greater deployment that, that clean energy has really reached a tipping point and is reaching, beginning to reach a stage of maturity. And so, you know, that's, that's just one more reason why folks should really support our competitiveness in the global economy because we do have it, you know it is it is reaching maturity and we do have big actors like China that we are in fierce competition with mm-hmm. you know just as passionately as we feel about this sector they see this as a global opportunity as well so they have set these ambitious goals they have made um, loans very at low cost or no cost to the industry they have tried to protect their manufacturing and you know they've tried to attract u.s. businesses to come and locate there um, they're doing a lot of that and they're buying businesses um, from the united states so you know, I, I think we have to realize that we are there's a lot at stake and we have fierce competition and that's really the reason we need to have policy. Policy not exactly like China has, but China has policy, we need policy too. Mm-hmm. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those policies. We're going to talk about uh, even some of the uh, potential, not to subsidize maybe the way that China has its uh, clean energy businesses, but 
but uh, to create some public investments that make sense in the U.S. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our topic for today is clean energy, which is not unlike other episodes of Go Green Radio. But today, we're talking about it from a different perspective. Uh, generally, we talk about the environmental benefits of various technologies when it comes to renewable energy. But today, we're also focusing on what it could mean to our nation's economy and to our GDP. It's an export opportunity because around the world, the insurgents of demand for renewable energy is off the charts and we're talking with three people who are uh, just have just released a report from the Pew Charitable Trust um, about exactly what that business opportunity is for the U.S. and what a tremendous opportunity we have to create jobs and a strong export that we can be proud of to send around the world uh, made in the USA. You know Aaron, I've heard opponents of government subsidization of clean energy make the argument that if it's a viable technology, then the market will drive the conditions necessary for the industry to succeed without any public investment. And, you know, it's not that I am not a believer in the market. However, um, the U.S. subsidizes oil, which is one of the most profitable, you know, industries uh, out there. Why is there such disparity, in your opinion, between the willingness of the U.S. government to give public support to oil-based energy and a little bit of a reticence to do the same for clean, renewable energy? 
that that is a fantastic question, Jill, and it really gets to the to the to the crux of the uh, difficulties that you know we see in the marketplace here. Um, you know, uh, I, w- I was asked the uh, question uh, just yesterday. You know, um, uh, why why is clean energy so politicized? You know, why is this a Democrat and Republican issue? I I, I honestly don't don't understand it. Uh, however, you know, as as an engineer and a technologist, it it makes about as much sense as politicizing uh, an automobile or a television set. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it just doesn't it doesn't belong there. Um, and and when we're talking about the um, uh, subsidies um, uh, for for clean energy and and people saying that you know listen you know the technology needs to stand all by itself. Um, you know, the, the question is, you know, well, then why are we subsidizing um, oil and, and dirty <laughs> technologies? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just, it just truly doesn't make any sense. That the, the argument against clean energy is saying, well, if it was viable, uh, you wouldn't need subsidies, but we're going to give subsidies to viable technologies. Um, it, 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 as, as a citizen of this country uh, and as a business leader, it just leaves me scratching my head. And again, mm-hmm. it really, truly reinforces the point that uh, we, we truly need a clean energy action plan in this nation. Phyllis, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I mean, I, there's not much I can, I can add to Aaron's argument. It is, um, you know, we have seen very powerful incumbent technologies. They have had subsidies in the, in the tax code some of you know oil and gas for more than a hundred years, nuclear power for fifty years, and um, you know I think at the current time there's you know we're, we're struggling fiscal austerity, fiscal austerity, and certainly that should be uh, a worry. But you know we have this country has engaged in public-private partnerships in the past to really foster and nurture new and emerging technologies. And I think the clean energy industry, they're, they're not asking for anything that anyone else hasn't gotten. And they just need a little help to overcome some barrier, market barriers and, frankly, some uh, policy barriers that are in place that really put them at a disadvantage. And not only the clean energy industry, but consumers who would like to have more choice. So mm-hmm. I think... Uh, you know, I, I am hopeful that as policymakers really learn more about the opportunities in this sector, as they understand what are the barriers, as clean energy businesses really come to Washington and meet with their policymakers, that they'll have a better understanding that, you know, the only conversations in Washington won't be between, um, you know, kind of the incumbent technologies and policymakers, but also with clean energy technology and policymakers. And I, you know, I... I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that uh, in the future that folks are going to recognize the kind of size and scope of the of the uh, opportunity in front of us. Agreed. You know, Dexter, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. You know, sometimes we hear naysayers uh, that say that clean energy is not without carbon emissions. It's not perfect. And some critics have used this information to discredit the claim that solar and wind energy generation reduces pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. What's the truth? How does clean energy technology compare to traditional energy generation on air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions? Well, yeah, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time uh, discussing uh, how a an energy source that uh, doesn't require uh, burning uh, coal or burning uh, fuel uh, compares against a, a technology that has no emissions at all. So, I, I mean, uh, with solar and wind, there's no emissions, there's no combustion. There's, uh, of course, I, I mean, I will use the opportunity to say that uh, I think it's important for everyone to realize that there are 
uh, costs uh, with any kind of consumption, whether that be electricity or you know, consumer technologies, et cetera, in the mining, and what happens to the technology afterwards. So uh, while it's obvious that uh, you know, clean energy is uh, called clean for a reason, I think the other important thing to bring up here is really the health cost, and that's really where um, you know, I think the argument falls on its head, where there's a lot of you know, research that's gone into the actual public health costs of things like coal, and the tallying um, of all these has come out to about a, it costs the U.S. economy about 140 billion to 240 billion uh, a year uh, in health impacts. Um, it's you know in 1973 the U.S. enacted the Black Lung Benefits Act, which basically provides monthly payments and medical benefits to coal miners who are um, unable to work or they are uh, caused to die prematurely from pneumoconiosis, which is mm-hmm. the black lung disease. So. I don't think there's really any kind of uh, uh, credible claim that clean energy is not cleaner and less polluting. I agree with you, Dexter, especially as a coal miner's daughter. I know very well up close um, what, you're, what you're mentioning there. However, um, it doesn't take much to distract some people um, with a gotcha moment uh, from a think tank like the Heritage Foundation or what have you when they put out these kinds of um, talking points. And so, you know, even though it seems as as obvious as the nose on our face that this is the truth, I think that it's worth um, making sure that the, the public understands, you know, just how clean clean is as compared to traditional energy sources. You know, Phyllis, I want to bring you in on this. I think, and this is just my opinion, but you tell me what you think about this. I think there are some members of Congress who still view clean energy advocates as sort of left of center activists, maybe hippie types, who are bent on eradicating traditional energy from fossil fuels and from nuclear. And, I mean, if we're going to be honest, there are some of those. But it seems like there are two clean energy advocacy groups that are emerging that might be more appealing to policymakers who lean a little bit right. First, I see people who are watching trends and increasing energy demands who realize we can't meet those demands with finite fossil fuels forever. And I think, secondly, there are some people who are watching trends in global investment in clean energy and think it would just be a tragedy for the U.S. not to manufacture and sell what the global market is buying. Um, do you see this same trend, and do you think these two perspectives will kind of help achieve some bipartisan support for increased policy focus at the federal level for clean energy? I, I sure hope so. I mean, it is, it is absolutely the case that environmentalists, you know, those tree huggers um, <laughs> that people like to label them, um, have been for a long time have been advocating clean energy, and, and not just, uh, not just environmentalists, but also health advocates and, as, and others, to, to kind of Dexter's earlier point. But I think there is an emerging and very powerful group, and it is these uh, clean energy business leaders like Aaron and others. We, for instance, have something called the Clean Energy Business Network. It's more than 3,500 um, members strong, all business leaders. And, you know, those folks understand very well the impact that policy has on their business and that the playing field is tilted against them. And so I think with uh, they have begun to get more involved. There are other groups like ours that have begun to get more involved. You're now seeing kind of investment strategists that are, as you point out, that are, are getting involved. And look, you know, all we have to do is look out at kind of the predictions, whether or not it is 
the International Energy Administration or the U.S. Energy um, Administration, these folks are making the prediction that the future is going to include renewables, that 25% of all additions going forward in the world are going to be renewables. You know, Dexter's uh, and Pike Research's research for our report clearly indicates 700 gigawatts between 2012 and 2018 are going to be added. Again, getting back to kind of the business argument. This is a business opportunity. And so we'd really like to see the politics um, of kind of this debate disappear. And I think, so I think the things that you've mentioned, kind of, you know, the business opportunity, the investment trends are really, um, can really be helpful in making that happen. Aaron, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, do you think that business leaders like yourself can change the face of clean energy advocacy from the sort of tree hugger, uh, you know, constituency to the hardcore business, you know, uh, pragmatic uh, voice to right-leaning members of Congress in order to get something, you know, in policy and action? Yes, 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 I do, and, and and you know, I'm also happy happy to report that you know there's 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 quite a few organizations that have been working on just that. Um, you know, I can speak from my own personal experience of you know beginning to um, uh, lobby for our company and and um, uh, clean energy and manufacturing jobs here in our local region, um, going going to the hill and um, you know meeting with um, with our policymakers. But um, you know, uh, five years ago was a much different area than. Than, than we have right now. There's there's a large amount of us professional business people that are in this area, but but back in that day, um, I, I would I would generally intro uh, myself by you know essentially saying, uh, listen, I'm I'm not a hippie here. Um, I am a <laughs> I am a business person, and I have lots of investors behind me, and this is the great new technology that that we're working on, and we we plan on manufacturing it in in our area, and mm-hmm. and I. I it seems kind of funny now to, to to think through it in that fashion, but you know we we had a real sense at that time that you know anybody that was advocating for clean energy was just kind of viewed as you know um, somebody who's just a complete free thinker and mm-hmm. didn't have the ability to be a professional business person. Um, well, it, yeah, it didn't it lacked a bit of the pragmatism that the business community can bring, you know. Mm-hmm to the to the table we've got to take a quick commercial break but when we come back there's much more on this some of the policy issues and some of the business opportunity around clean energy on behalf of the united states of america and our ability to lead the way in this new global trend so don't go away folks there's much more go green radio right after this Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Before we get going with our next segment, I'd like to give a big shout out to all my tweeps out there. We are having a good time on Twitter. You guys always have such great comments and great things to say. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Jill Buck. So find me. I'll follow you back and we'll have some great discussions about clean energy and so many other things going on in the world of Go Green. Um, we are joined today by three guests that I'm very excited to have if you ha- just happen to be tuning in. Um, they just released a report. This is out of the Pew Charitable Trusts out in D.C. and they just re- released a report yesterday that talks about um, some of the business reasons why the U.S. needs to lead the global market in um, the creation, innovation, manufacturing, and sales of of renewable energy technology. And I'm really excited to have them on today. You know, we're waiting and everybody's hoping that at some point Congress will put together a comprehensive energy plan. But while we wait for the federal government to develop such a plan – Dexter, I'd like for you to talk about what some of the states are doing to create clean energy policy of their own and what the impact of that has been. Yeah, you know, it's uh, really interesting. I mean, the U.S. is uh, a patchwork of of, uh, clean energy policies where uh, in the absence of federal leadership, we've had a number of leading states, uh, you know, enact their own policies. So uh, some of the most notable ones are California's, uh, which is targeting targeting. 33% 33% renewables by, I think, 2020. Um, here in Oregon, where I'm based, we've got one of the highest in the, um, in the region here at 25% uh, by 2025. Uh, so this just gives you an idea uh, and really underscores the, the fact that, actually, let me back up a second, that um, in total across the U.S., I think there's about 31 states that have some sort of renewable energy target um, uh, or a renewable energy standard. So it gives, really underscores that this is happening all across the comp- all across the country, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, what what we're seeing here, and kind of back on the uh, previous topic of you know whether this is a you know a red or a blue issue in the political spectrum, um, you know, I'll, people forget that General Electric, uh, with its uh, Republican CEO uh, Jeffrey Immelt, uh, is General Electric has the most uh, turbines installed in the U.S. compared to any other any other uh, company. Mm-hmm. So it's not 
It doesn't have to be a red and blue, and it's not a red and blue issue. Looking down the list of the top um, 10 states for, uh, wind, uh, for wind resource potential, Texas uh, is, number, is number one up there, Iowa, um, Oregon, Illinois, California. So it really shows the diversity of where the resources are. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's just important to know that we are actually achieving a lot of our deployment targets, even the, in the absence of federal leadership, that because of the reduction in cost, because of the sheer demand for new electricity sources, and because with uh, many renewable energy sources, you don't have to build as long transmission uh, compared to big centralized coal-burning fossil fuel plants, it's actually a very cost-effective strategy. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's important for listeners to know that this transition is actually happening. It's easy to get bogged down in the doom and gloom, uh, but it's, 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 it's kind of because of the cost reductions and macro trends, it's, the U.S. is well on its way to deploying large amounts of renewable energy. I think there's another issue that if we continue to have droughts, we'll drive this as well, and that is that a lot of renewable energy technology doesn't require the amount of water that's necessary to create electricity, like some of the traditional power plants. This idea kind of came to roost for me summer before last when some Texas farmers were protesting against the zoning of a new coal fire plant, and it wasn't because of emissions. It was because they didn't want to compete with the plant for the clean water that they needed to water their crops. And as we see, you know, the Plains states where so much of our food is grown still under drought conditions. You know, it didn't end when the summer was over. I think that um, you'll find new constituency groups that will begin to say, you know what, Uh, we need our water for other purposes besides electricity generation. And if we can, uh, you know, alleviate that need for water and put it towards crops, um, you may end up with some more constituency groups as well. Phyllis, when you're... When you're in the U, uh, you know, at, at, in DC, and you're talking with federal lawmakers about creating energy policies similar to what some of the states have done, does anybody ever say, "Hey, let the states deal with this"? They already are. Thirty-one states have got policies. What do we need a federal policy for? Um, is there any kind of pushback like that? Uh, there has been, but you know, I, I mean, what I would point to is one. Clean energy has been very effective at kind of meeting the, the, the standards that we have in place at the state level. And so, you know, we, we do need another kind of national uh, signal. But also I liken this really to the fight that we had several years ago about fuel efficiency. At that time, there were a number of states, we called them Pavley states, I'm sure that you've covered this, mm-hmm. that set emission standards for vehicles. And that was about 40% of the market. And there were a lot of lawsuits by autos at that time trying to kind of suppress those standards because they didn't want to make cars, you know, different cars to different standards for different states. Mm -hmm. And I look at a clean energy standard or renewable energy standard in a little bit of the same way, which is that if we had a national market, it would make things Gosh, we would be so much more competitive in our, in our, frankly, in our competition with China and with Europe in kind of manufacturing. We would, you know, it would be easier for companies to sell. I think, frankly, it would be easier for utilities to understand. So I really believe that kind of a national policy is necessary for a number of reasons. And you'll remember, again, that that fuel efficiency fight was certainly um, – uh, a tough one. It was one of the, you know, it was a, it was, it was long fought. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, gee, you know, 
the autos have been very effective at meeting those standards. They've exceeded them, and now we're, we've raised fuel efficiency standards yet again. So I think I think this is a little bit of, uh, like the clean energy sector and a renewable energy standard. There might be a lot of fighting. We're going to get there, and when we do, we're going to find it far easier to meet than we ever thought that any any of these arguments were, and it's going to have all kinds of benefits for our competition, for you know the health of our nation, for the environment, um, for investors. It's just going to have a lot of benefits. So we do need to get to a national energy standard. I don't disagree. But here's an issue that keeps me up at night, and I bring this up a lot in a number of Go Green Radio episodes, and I want to get your take on this. Let's say that the federal government develops a clean energy plan and public investments lead to a revitalization of the U.S.'s R&D in clean energy as well as our capacity to manufacture clean energy hardware. And then China, which currently controls or buys up 97% of the rare earth minerals, some of which are needed to uh, as raw materials to manufacture clean energy hardware, let's say they decide not to sell us any of those like they did you know for a couple of weeks last year with Japan and we can't get a hold of rare earth minerals needed to manufacture the hardware don't we need to include mining of domestic rare earth elements in a clean energy plan or an energy plan you know as a whole do we need some control over the raw materials for clean energy hardware I'm going to start with Aaron on that one what do you think um, yes and this is actually something that um, I think I could probably take up an entire segment uh, of, of your program just talking about. Do um, it, because this is important. <laughs> oh, this, 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 is, this, is, this is a very, very big deal. Um, you know, the, having, having been in, in this area for a while, um, you know, I, I've been able to watch all of, you know, watch and be affected by all of the market fluctuations that we've seen at least in the past seven years as it comes to uh, rare earth metals. And I, one thing that I, I would like to do is, you know, be able to paint uh, a, a parallel picture um, uh, for, for, for you and your audience, too, when it mm-hmm. comes to this, because it, there's, there's a parallel to the supply of um, rare earth magnets, uh, rare earth minerals um, to our country, and uh, uh, what I would view as China's position on, um, on uh, clean energy manufacturing and technologies. And, and the story of, of the, the, the rare earth element um, component of this is there was a time uh, where um, uh, China subsidized um, the mining of the rare earth metals to the point where uh, just about every mine outside of China uh, could no longer financially compete. Um, everybody pretty much shut down their mines, and China became the world leader in, in supplying rare earth minerals. Um, and, and, you know, mines are, are not things that you just shut down and turn back on. There's a very long, lengthy process that goes along with it. But we are seeing a parallel with the amount of manufacturing of, say, solar panels um, that's going on in China these days. And, and I think, you know, the more um, that uh, they have the manufacturing competence and, and, and the throughput and the scale to be able to deliver those, there, there may come a point where if we absolutely positively have to have large amounts of solar panels, we're not going to be able to get them. So this, this rare earth element um, uh, situation that we're in, we could find ourselves in another situation uh, when it comes to power generating um, uh, components, too. Um, you know, um, from the manufacturing and R&D side, 
um, this is this is something that we're very very sensitive. We've been able to reduce uh, the rare earth component in some of our own devices by over 50 percent within the the past year alone, and and that is a very hot research and development area for us. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the, the the other thing um, uh, as it pertains to these elements is that uh, the Department of Defense also relies on them. Um, so, you know, there's rare earth elements in every smart bomb uh, that our nation nation uses. Mm -hmm. And um, we've seen over the past couple of years a large focus in um, advancing funds into research and development um, for magnetic materials to hopefully break this kind of logjam that we now experience. Well, yeah, and I, I, I can't help but bring into the discussion what's going on with the Dreamliners. I mean, they're being grounded because there's problems with their lithium batteries. Lithium-ion batteries are in all kinds of stuff and now in aviation. And, you know, of course, that's not a supply issue, but it's, you know, it shows the breadth of the technologies that rely upon rare earth minerals and 97% of those minerals are controlled by one nation. And, uh, you know, I think that's concerning. We've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, Phyllis, I'd like for you to address that same issue from a policy perspective and talk about what might be done to include the raw materials needed for, you know, clean energy manufacturing here in the U.S. in, in policy. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just before the break, we were talking about a subject that keeps me up at night, and that is control over the supply chain, uh, particularly the rare earth minerals and elements that are needed as raw ingredients to create and manufacture so much of the clean technology. Uh, clean tech hardware, solar panels, wind, etc. And Aaron was talking about the fact that you know a lot of the innovators in his industry are trying to sort of design new iterations of clean energy hardware that will either use less or use no rare earth minerals. But uh, the fact is, you know, for a lot of the clean energy hardware that we want to be manufacturing, we need those raw materials and we don't have a domestic supply of it. And Phyllis, I'd like for you to comment on this. I mean, you're in the you know, in the epicenter of policy making around clean energy, is there any policy discussion right now going on about securing a domestic supply of the rare earth minerals and elements that we need as raw materials to manufacture clean energy hardware? Well, that's a great question. There, I would say, there are conversations that are occurring in, in kind of particularly in national security circles about how important this is to American national security, um, but. I, as far as I know, there have been no proposals emanating from Congress. I don't know of anything that's about to be introduced um, on this topic. Um, I hope I hope uh, <laughs> there will be, um, but at the moment, I I just can't say that there's a lot of hope for any policy on this piece because we just haven't seen a lot of action there. Um, that's I I just find that just as an everyday American tragic because it's not as though we don't have rare earth minerals in the US we just haven't produced it like you know you all were saying earlier you can't just start a mine tomorrow and get the operations going this takes a long time and um if we don't have any policy about creating opportunities to mine our own rare earth minerals then what we're doing and I'm a former U.S. Naval officer, what we're doing is asking our military to secure the lines of transportation for, um, you know, the rare earth minerals the same way that we have for oil and, and what have you over the years. And we're, you know, everybody talks about, oh, wouldn't it be great if we put in a lot of renewable energy and we could reduce our dependence upon foreign oil, but if we're trading one foreign substance for another foreign substance, I'm not sure how energy independent that makes us. Dexter, you had something that you wanted to add on this topic of rare earth minerals. Sure. Wow, that was really eloquently put. Uh, well done. The, uh, there, it, you, know, it, you know, you talk about these topics, about how current they are, and, you know, I think I just saw news released this week that the DOE is launching a rare earth metal research hub uh, in Iowa at the Ames Laboratory there. I know that Lawrence uh, Livermore National Lab is involved um, and that the U.S. has been hosting these um, uh, U.S.-Japanese workshops on rare earth elements, citing the, uh, uh, you know, uh, China's unwillingness to trade with China going back to a year or two ago. So there is a lot of momentum. But I think what we're really talking about here is that you need policy to set a framework for the entire country because even if it's uh, somewhat overlaps with existing, say, renewable portfolio standards, renewable energy targets in states, once you have that fundamental overarching framework, then you, it makes it much easier to enact additional policies. You, you need to take a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have the on-again, off-again, some parts are growing, some parts are failing, all depending on the whims of elections. And so that's probably the number one uh, you know, reason why the U.S., Energy or clean energy 
uh, industries have not been able to reach their full potential. We've had on-again, off-again, uh, you know, uh, tax incentive system with wind in particular, uh, when other countries will at least say, hey, we're going to, you can have an incentive, it's going to be limited, it's going to phase out over five years, but we'll at least provide that kind of certainty. And I think we're finally getting to that place. We're looking ahead, and that's what underscores a lot of our forecast is, uh, that we did for this Pew report, is that if there's that long-term certainty, even if it's the incentives are reduced over time, it at least provides a large enough window for industry to ramp up and to deliver on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Well totally said. agree. Here, here. Yep. I, cheers to, uh, you know, a round on that one. Well, well said, Dexter. You know, in order to make this topic real uh, and important to everyday Americans, I think it's really important to connect the dots between, you know, what we talk about and, and we're all excited about, you know, the results of this report and what's going on in policy. But what everyday Americans are concerned about is jobs. <laughs> and what does this mean? And one of the things that I would hope would be going on, because as Aaron said, you know, in the Rust Belt and, and in parts of the country, you still have the bones, you have the infrastructure of the manufacturing uh, facilities that made us a giant on the world stage. And I'm just wondering if there's any part of the policy process that is addressing strategically placing clean energy manufacturing hubs in towns that have lost manufacturing jobs. Do you think that a strategy like that would make it more likely for Congress to be willing to invest in bringing jobs back. If we were to say, you know, this town or this county, you know, has lost X number of manufacturing jobs, that's where we're going to make solar panels. You know, is that happening at all? I just, I'm not sure. Well, well, one thing, um, in our in our report, we really suggest six policy areas to work in and, and six and several policies um, in particular. And one of the ones that we've talked about that really came out of this process of a conversation with business leaders, um, clean energy business leaders, was strong, strong support for clean energy manufacturing here in the United States. And one of the policies that they pointed to that has been very effective um, and very popular was the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Credit. And this gave a 30% investment for 30% tax in, uh, incentive for um, making investments in clean energy manufacturing in this country. Now, that has been the direct result of that, that short-term tax credit, was 17,000 jobs in 143 facilities, in, or 180 facilities, I'm sorry, in 43 states. Wow. And so, you know, that... That tax incentive was wildly oversubscribed. There just wasn't enough set aside for, for use. That is something that the administration has suggested that should be renewed, and we sure hope Congress would do that. Because while there, you know, those states that do have advanced manufacturing are, are sure going to be um, uh, you know, very well positioned to manufacture in the future, but also you know, clean energy manufacturing occurs across the United States. So one of the one of the prior reports we've done really shows that all 50 states have have a clean energy presence. All 50 states have clean energy jobs and businesses. So, mm-hmm. sure, you know, particularly places like Ohio, like Michigan, that have um, you know certainly research bases and have advanced manufacturing, have skilled, high wage uh, workers are well positioned to compete. But um, you know, we need to get that again policy. We need to get that tax credit or others in place. That that signal 
that can really ramp up production here in this country. Aaron, what do you think of that? Uh, we actually um, uh, see things like that on a very small scale here in the um, state of Ohio, uh, like uh, Representative uh, Tim Ryan over in the Warren-Youngstown area, which is you know a place with great manufacturing bones and a, and a wonderful legacy of um, uh, of helping make things for this country. Um, I, I know uh, the representative has, has done a very good job of um, being able to bring in um, uh, incubators and, and, and other areas and incentives to be able to, to try to bring alternative energy companies either to their region with the understanding that, you know, these are the companies that need to manufacture things to get out into the marketplace or um, for the research component that goes along with it. So in, in the lack of, of an actual policy, you know what we're seeing is is individual um, uh, policymakers uh, doing the best that they can for their constituents. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me think of the Billy Joel song Allentown. You know, we're living here in Allentown, and mm-hmm. you know when when the, the folks just see these jobs evaporate in an industry that has fed generations of families evaporate. I just feel like. Boy, that's the place to go. You've got people who want to work and they want to work hard and they're used to making things and uh, you retool a little bit and wow, what a turnaround that could mean for some of the the areas that uh, you know make up the backbone of America. Well, there's about 100 more questions I'd like to ask you guys, so I think what I'm going to have to do is have you come back on for a part two, uh, but this was a great discussion, and I thank you for being on Go Green Radio with us today. I'd like to thank all of our listeners as well for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week, so until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.